Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as all those who watch us on television in northern Wisconsin and those on the internet. Good morning to all of you. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. And again, good morning to our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point. It's our Mission Sunday today. We've taken a special offering at the end. <clears throat> this is monies that we raise separately for various outreaches that we have going on all over the world. Uh, starting on one of those today is our... Uh, friend Jimmy Bratcher that uh, we support uh, is doing a outreach to prisons, federal prisons throughout Kansas. A lot of federal prisons there. Say, why are there federal prisons in Kansas? Because there's nothing else in Kansas. <clears throat> and it's like, seriously, if a nuclear bomb went off and then you planted one tree, that's Kansas. And uh, so the nice thing there is if anybody escapes, you can see them for 30 miles. I mean, there's no place to go. It's just flat and extraordinarily hot. Every time I go there, it's like a block from hell. It's just horrible. Uh, so we're praying for a cool front to come through. Oh, Lord, please. You say, are you excited about it? No, I kind of dread it. Now, I love seeing Jimmy and Sherry. That's the fun part. But this is a lot of work. It is. Lugging all that stuff around and doing these concerts and going through all the security and hanging with, you know, and, and performing, because and, I, I play in his blues band with him. Uh, I say, well, if, if you don't enjoy it 100%, why do you do it? You know, that's bad thinking. Only do what you like is crazy. You know, we need to do the right thing, whether you like it or not, right? Jesus gave a parable. He said, a certain man had two sons. Goes to the first son, said, son, go work in my vineyard. He said, absolutely, pops, straight away. But then he didn't go. Comes to the second son, Son, go work in my vineyard. Well, he had a bad attitude. Nah, I don't want to go work in your vineyard. But then he later went. Jesus asked the Pharisees, which one of them did the will of their father? Obviously, it was the second one. You know, I know as parents, we deal with our kids and <clears throat> try to straighten out their attitudes because there's something about kids and their attitudes that just make you want to, you know, choke them sometimes. But, uh, and it's good. You want to have good attitudes. But at some point, we, even that we need to be careful with. Uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what your attitude is as long as you do the right thing. Somebody say amen. amen. All right? So if people only do what they enjoy doing at all times, then you're just being self-serving. Serving and helping others at times isn't always a lot of fun. Uh, this is a rough week. A lot of work, a lot of caring, a lot of hanging out with these guys in prison, guys who will never see the light of day again. Some of these guys are really bad hombres that are in there. And we go in there and we share the love of Christ with them. Uh, the Bible encourages us, Jesus encourages us, go visit people in prison. 
So that's what we're doing. And thank you for those of you who helped support these outreaches so that we can go and do these things. So anyway, that starts today. I'll be back next Saturday. Um, we are continuing our series on the significant events of the Old Testament. We are now, uh, we've been talking about Moses and how he brought the people out of Egypt and how they struggled so much, even though they were out of Egypt, been slaves for 430 years, there was something in them that always wanted to go back. Every time something got hard, they wanted to go back. And I've shared this analogy with you. It's a good lesson for us. Be careful. Don't let your past dictate your future. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, just because you've had a horrible past, look, at some point, you just got to move on. I know a lot of people struggle greatly with their past and are trying to reconcile their past and go to counselors with their past. And I know they're all into that sort of thing. I, it's just inconceivable to me. Whatever you need to do, God bless you. But, but what I see in the Bible is we don't straighten out our past. We go bring it to the cross. Let God forgive our past and move on. You can't fix it. There's nothing you can do about it. You move on, right? And let God uh, fix things. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, the Bible says. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're supposed to be walking in newness of life, not caught and obsessed with the past. Anyway, these guys are just constantly irritating God to no end. And, uh, and he brings some serious judgments on them. And oftentimes people talk about the Old Testament and say, well, you know, why was God so mean in the Old Testament? Look, when God Almighty shows up to you and talks to you in person and you diss him, that's a bad day for you, all right? He doesn't do that kind of stuff. Of course, he's not talking to people like that today. We're not seeing miracles and hearing literally the voice of God. That's what these people were seeing and experiencing. And they still would just spit in God's face and it would get them in all kinds of trouble. So they're out there and they're just being a serious pain in the butt. Anyway, eventually, they have now come out of Egypt. They came up to the promised land. They're about to go into the promised land. This is the land that God promised them a long time ago, a land flowing with milk and honey. So let's find out what happens. Picking up at Numbers, the 13th chapter. Now the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on to the hill country. See what the land is like. Whether the people who are, live there are strong, weak, few, many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees? I mean, he's really, what is this place like? This place that God has been talking to us about. Go check it out. Do your best. Bring back some of the fruit of the land. For it's the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up, <clears throat> explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. Well, they, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a cluster of grapes. Now you can imagine what you cut off a branch with a cluster of grapes. It's no big deal. This, these grapes were so large that it says they, the two of them carried it on a pole between them. That's a big Yomama grapevine. All right, this is huge. This is, the fruit there is like, wow, what a place. Look at the size of these grapes. So they bring that back with them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. And then after 40 days of going through and exploring the land, then they returned. Well, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran where they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. 
we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. Look at these grapes. This place is awesome. Man, oh man, oh man. It is a beautiful place. It is flowing with milk and honey. But the people, and now they get to the negative side, but, but, the people who live there, they're powerful. The cities are fortified, they're very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. They were like big Obama guys. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites, all the ites are all there. And Caleb silenced the people for Moses. Caleb was one of the guys that went with them. But he's got a positive attitude. Him and Joshua, which we'll see in a bit. And they silenced the people before Moses and said, look, we should go up, take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. He is a man's man. He's a leader. He's positive. Yeah, there's a bunch of big old yo mama guys there, but we can take them. Let's go get it. God promises to us. Certainly we can do it. But the other guys who got up with him said, we can't, we can't, we can't do it. <laughs> They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim. They're the descendants of Anak, these Yo Mama guys. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. We're just a bunch of little people. But the grasshoppers are big guys. We can't take them. A bunch of linebackers. These are huge guys. We can't do it. Just can't do it. In the next verse. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Now this has me completely and totally bumfuzzled. It's the word of the day. <laughs> bumfuzzled. It means to be perplexed. These are grown men. And they are crying. And not just for 20 minutes. They're crying all night long. I can't do it. We can't do it. Oh, Pastor, you don't know my problems. There are my problems. They're really big. They're really big. You know, I know your problems seem big to you, but to God, it's not all that big. He doesn't look at your problems and go, whoa. <laughs> More than I can handle. God can handle anything you got coming. Now, when you're on the other side of the problem, sometimes they seem overwhelming. I remember when my my daughter Leslie married Ross back in the day, and, uh, <clears throat> and I, I told Ross, Ross clearly, he asked me if he could marry her. I, okay, but she doesn't come with a receipt. <laughs> all right, no returns, all sales final. All right, don't bring her back. It's a final deal. Several months later, she calls and she's crying. What's wrong? I made a mistake. We thought, oh. I made a mistake, Mom, Dad, I made a mistake. Oh, man. All right, come over. So we're, we're waiting, you know. She comes in, she's crying. I said, what happened? I made a mistake. I know, I know what, what, what happened. I'm $100 overdraft on my checking account. I'm like, oh, I'll give you $200. Shut up already. Like he gave us both a heart attack. 
But when you're short $100 and you don't have $100, that's a lot of money. It seems overwhelming. It seems like the descendants of Anak. Oh, they're big. It's $100. I'm just a grasshopper. I can't handle it. Not to mock it. I'm telling you, I'm serious. I know what it's like to be in a situation where it seems overwhelming. But it's all a matter of perspective. Sometimes it's just 100 bucks. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. All right? Your problems are not too big for God. God doesn't look at your problems and go, oh, myself, what are we going to do? And they're all crying. These guys are crying. They're grown men. They're crying. There's no crying in baseball. That movie. Good movie. Crying. Why? Weeping all night. And then they got mad. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Look, you made us cry. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. <laughs> I always wanted to go back to That was always their point of reference. Oh, Egypt. Oh, where is Egypt? They were miserable in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. But I'm telling you, there's something about the familiar that makes people want to go back. And they're afraid to step out. You know, I talk to people, <clears throat> a lot of women who are seriously emotionally or even physically abused, and there's some men as well in that same category, married to some woman who literally beats the snot out of them, abuses them. Uh, and the thing about these people is they won't leave. They won't leave their abusers. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. But they're afraid. They're afraid of the unknown. Rather stay in Egypt. Rather stay with my slave masters. Rather stay around, knocked around. By the way, if you're in a situation like that, you need to come talk to us. You need to get out of there. Well, I'm afraid. I don't know what I'm... We'll work it out. But your fear is going to keep you in a horrible place. For some reason, there's this thing inside of us that we run to what we know, even if what we know is horrible. And that's them. Oh, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. You know, now they want to die in the wilderness. They don't want to go die fighting these ites. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? That's why God brought us here. Yeah, God brought you here so he could kill you. Seriously, he wanted to kill you, just kill you. <laughs> but that's what they're thinking. They're so negative. Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Let's go back to what we know. I miss all that misery. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Pastor. I'm afraid. Man, fear will always chase you back to Egypt. Man, don't be going back there. They said to each other, we ought to pick a leader. We've got to pick a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, he's one of these other guys, the son of Nun, not the son of a Nun, but the son of <laughs> old Catholic joke. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> And Caleb, so Joshua and Caleb were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes in dramatic fashion. <laughs> Why would they do that? Because they're very dramatic, even to this day. If you look in the Middle East, if you see footage of people in the Middle East, they're very dramatic. They yell, they scream, they rip tear, they throw dust. They've been doing this for thousands of years. You think Puerto Ricans are dramatic? They make us look like Swedish people. I'm telling you, these guys... <clears throat> Oh, they're just ripping their clothes out. Oh, they're all so emotional. 
And the other tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, Look, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. The Lord will be with us. Do not be afraid of them. See, that's always the alternative, being afraid. Fear will keep you back. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> that's a bad day when everybody in the church wants to kill you. You know, I haven't had a day like that yet. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Start to stone me, want to find a new job. <laughs> so they want to kill these guys. Ah, let's stone them. Had it with these people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting and to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Always remember, the difference here is what these people are experiencing. They are literally seeing miracles every day. Every day. Stuff you and I just can't even begin to comprehend. And they still wouldn't believe. People say, well, why, why, why doesn't God just do more miracles and we'll all believe? More? No, <laughs> apparently not. <coughs> apparently that doesn't change anything. Isn't that amazing? They were just inclined to disbelieve. He's so, God was so frustrated with them. He said, listen, Moses, I'm going to strike them all down with a plague, destroy them. And I'll make you into a greater nation and stronger than they. This is like the third time or whatever that God has said, listen, just Moses. Let me just kill them all because these people are unbelievable. After everything I've done, <clears throat> let's just wipe them out. We'll start over with you. God's patient. Took 500 years for these many people. We can wait another 500 years. Nothing to God. And of course, Moses begs God to forgive them. And what does God do? Okay. He forgives them. I have forgiven them as you asked, he said. It's what he does. God's very quick to forgive. As angry as, you know, these guys that eventually get smitten and stuff like that, these are really hardcore people. They refuse to repent. They refuse any apologies to God. They stay in a bad place. All it took was one guy saying, God, please forgive them all, and he'd go, yeah, okay. We talked about it last week, remember? How many people, there are people throughout the Bible who got, would get mad at God because he would forgive them. He'd let people off. You know, there's people like that today. You know, there's a struggle between grace and truth. Grace <clears throat> lets you off the hook. Truth is the truth. It has the standard. And we have two extremes today because we're Americans and we do everything from an extreme. So there's people, the grace people, they think, well, it doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything. Grace covers everything. So they have no standards. But grace does not eliminate God's standards at all. God's standards always stay here. They always stay here. Well, we can't reach it. Well, that's what grace is for. But we keep striving to live according to the standards taught in God's word. Then you got the people who are the truth people. Got to do the truth. And if you don't make the truth, they will nail you to the wall. They are quick. They are quick to nail people. Oh, man. Just get on Facebook. You know. People are, yeah, you're not like the way you're not ready to shoot you. These people are crazy. These are the truth people. We believe in the truth. It's got to be done exactly this way or we're going to kill you all have no concept of grace. 
And it's not really either or. The Bible said, John in his gospel said, Jesus was full of grace and truth. These two contrary things actually come together in Jesus, which means God's standard is always God's standard, but there's always forgiveness when we fall short. Anyway, so God was very quick to forgive them as always, but at this point, he's had it. He has had it. And this is when he decides he's not going to let these people into the promised land. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, God says, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and my signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times now, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So God forgives them. He's not going to wipe them out, but he's not going to let them in. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or older, which sucks if you just turned 20. <clears throat> My birthday was yesterday. You know, 20 years old, all y'all going to die. Any of you have grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, they'll get it, see. I'll bring them into joy of the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. So Moses goes and tells them all this. That okay? Nobody's going in. And that's why they wound up for 40 years 40 years wandering around out there, just deep, 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 going nowhere until all those people had died off. He said, they all died off in 40 years? How that happened so fast? Well, because, <laughs> because they kept getting into the judgment of God. Well, you'll see that. It's, we're not going to read all these things because it's too long. <clears throat> but just one experience after another, these people were unbelievable. So Moses tells them, all right, nobody's going in. And then they mourned bitterly. Now they're crying again. We don't want to go in. We don't want to go in. Ooh. And then Moses, you can't go in. Ooh. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point of the hill country. Now we're ready to go. We can do it now. These people were unbelievable. When God would tell them to do something, they said, I can't do it. And then when God says, okay, then you don't get to do it. We can do it. It didn't matter. They'd flip from one side to the other. Anything God wanted, they would do the opposite. Can you imagine how frustrating that must have been? So now they're all ready. No, no, we can do it. And Moses said, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up there. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you've turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you. You'll fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up anyway. Though neither Moses nor the ark moved from the camp. Moses didn't go, I ain't going. <laughs> Have a nice time storming the castle. I mean, they just sat back. You want, don't do it. Don't, oh, we could do it. The day earlier, they're crying all night long because they don't want to do it. I'm the nuts. There's something in the human condition that's just... What is wrong with us? I sometimes use that against kids, you know. 
reverse psychology. Tell them they can't do something, so they'll turn around and do it. <laughs> right? It's just, there's something wrong with us. Anyway. So they went up to the highest point of the hill country. No, neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. They stayed there. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and knocked the snot out of them and beat them terribly. And then they pulled back. And now they're stuck. And for 40 years, deep, 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 going nowhere. They just kept traveling around and around, nomads, just stuck because they wouldn't believe. And, they keep, and even then, they kept getting themselves in trouble. One that I want to read to you real quick here is Numbers chapter 21. They traveled from Mount Or to the root of the Red Sea to go around Edom. Deep, 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 deep. But the people grew impatient on the way. Really? This is no fun. Why are we going in circles? So they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? They missed Egypt. There's no bread. There's no water. There's no Panera bread either. There's no McDonald's. There's nothing. A little roast beef, something. We detest this miserable food. So God had been giving them food every day. They didn't have to work. They had the manna, they had the quail, and they got tired of it. Nah. Nah. Sick of this stuff. They didn't even have to eat leftovers. It was fresh every day. That's why you should never eat leftovers. It's in the Bible right there. I don't like leftovers. Some of you are like, oh, I like to eat cold pizza three days old. Ew! Come to my house. I got a science experiment going on in my refrigerator, I think. Anyway, what am I talking about? Oh, we're sick of this food. So God is so irritated with these people. So he says, the Lord sent venomous snakes. Let out the snakes! Who let the snakes out? Ooh, ooh, ooh. So the snakes come out, and, and, and they're nasty snakes. They're not Wisconsin snakes. Wisconsin snakes are very nice snakes. Now, some of you girls, you see a snake, you scream like bloody murder. Ah! It's a Wisconsin snake. They don't do anything. You can put a collar around it and go for a walk. It's not going to do anything to you. <laughs> That's why I like living in Wisconsin. People in the South, we like it warm down here. Yeah, but there's things that will kill you. We don't have that here. You got little bugs that'll bite you. Down there, Arr! you're dead. So they bit the people. Snakes came out. Many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses. <laughs> okay, we're sorry. We're sorry. Over and over. You pray that the Lord will take the snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people, of course, God. It's always quick to forgive. But this time it's a little different. He says, Here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. I call it snake on a stick. All right? And whenever anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, you've got to assume there's people who wouldn't do that. Got bit by a snake, call a doctor. Get my snake bite kit. 
Somewhere it's in the tent. Craig, come on, look at a snake. I'm not going to look at a snake. Fix this, fix that. Ow! <laughs> and then they would die. It's an, imagine, an amazing analogy. Jesus talked about this event. In the Gospel of John, we read about it. Jesus said this, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and what happened? Anyone who would look at the snake would live. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that's what happens upon that cross. As we look up to him, we find healing for our souls, forgiveness for our sins. Really, just by believing in Jesus. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people, they, everybody's been bit, right? Everybody's got the poison of sin going in them. The emptiness, the loneliness, the anger, the bitterness, unforgiveness, all the nasty stuff. But people don't want to believe. They have their own little snake bite kits. You know? Oh, I don't need that Jesus. I just need more money. Oh, ow, ow. I just, I, snake bit me here. I just need more money. I'm going to buy more lottery tickets because I know I'm going to win this time. By the way, if your retirement plan includes a lottery ticket, you're in big trouble. <laughs> no, I just, I just need some more booze. I just need some more booze. Reach, reach that snake. I get, get, get me a bottle of that hooch. That'll fix it. Everyone's trying to patch up their pain with stuff, right? Everyone's running around Green Bay, Stevens Point, Apple, looking for those snake bite kits. Everyone's on that hooch. Yes. Oh, it's Green Bay. We just got voted in the, the drunkest city in America now. Makes you proud, doesn't it? <laughs> At least we do something well. We do it really well. Oh, just, you know, let's go to Colorado and smoke weed. That'll fix it. Oh, everybody's so excited. Oh, we got a new snake bite kit. This is awesome. Woo! Oh, the unbelievers looking forward to the snake bite kits. So they start making more of that stuff legal. Oh, it's going to be awesome. But it doesn't fix anything. Still won't fix it. I just need a new husband. Yeah, lots of luck with that. A new wife will fix my problems. No, won't. I just need a better boyfriend, better girlfriend, this, that, the other. Everybody's chasing around. I just need a newer car. Is that a nicer car? No. Everybody's just got their snake bite kits. They got this poison going through them. They can feel the pain and the emptiness and loneliness. And they're trying to use their own. They don't want to look at the cross. But to those who will look at the cross, just like those who came and looked at that snake, it would be healed. Jesus says it's the same way with me. If we will come to him and put our trust and hope, if we will lift up our eyes, try, quit trying to control everything yourself and realize I can't fix this. I can't fix this. I need to be healed by God's grace. Look up on the cross and just as they did to that snake, you too can be healed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for the promises of grace power of truth. Lord, we thank you that you died upon that cross so that we could experience forgiveness of sins and receive new life. Lord, for people listening to me right now, I know a lot of people listen to me a lot, television all around this northern Wisconsin, even here at the church, a lot of people come and they still have never truly surrendered their heart to you. I pray that you would help them. People right now in Appleton at our campus, over in Stevens Point in our campus, 
Help them to surrender their hearts to you, to look up, look at the cross. Allow your healing grace to transform their lives, to fill them with new life. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Amen.